Hello everyone and welcome back to Our Golden Twenties. My name is Sadie and I'm joined by my co-host Tegan and today we're joined by a very special guest named Rennie the Resource, which I just love how that sounds. But Rennie is a Toronto-based finance expert, marketing consultant, and content creator. After buying her first house at the age of 23, she decided to share her experience with others in hopes to help people become more financially literate and excel in their careers so that they can live their best lives. She's here today to talk with us all about the basics of investing, making a complex topic simple. Why don't we start off with you telling us a bit about yourself and how you became a resource for financial literacy and where you are now kind of in your journey. Okay. Hi, everyone who's listening. I am Rennie and I am a full-time content creator based in Toronto, Canada. So how I became, I make content about financial literacy, career development, and lifestyle. And the way that I became this resource, people call me Rennie the resource. (laughs) The way that I became uh, this resource is I always just like to share what I knew with other people. So I would always tell my friends about investing because my parents taught me about investing when I was young. So I would share with my friends. Uh, Anytime I'd learn new things about career development and different things like that, I would just tell my friends like, oh, did you know LinkedIn can help you get a job? You don't have to apply for jobs all the time if you have a great LinkedIn profile and different things like that. So in 2020, I actually bought my first house and all my friends were like, wait, what? How did you buy your house? Like, what are you talking about? How did this happen? (laughs) I'm like, guys, I've been teaching you. I've been like teaching you about investing for so long. And they were like, we want a video. We need answers. We like tell us everything. So I decided to launch my YouTube channel and now I do it for a living. I share resources for a living now. So it's pretty cool. Fantastic. That's so cool. I love that so much. Yeah, your friends are like, dang, we should have been taking notes when this girl was talking. (laughs) (laughs) Joke is on them. Yeah, that's so funny. I love that so much. And I also love how you learned so much from your parents. Like, I feel like it's like a common thought, like for people in their 20s to be like, I really wish I learned about this in school. And like, it just seems to be like a huge gap in like the education system. And you really do rely on your parents and your friends and family members to teach you this. But not everybody has like that experience, you know, so it's really awesome that you were sharing the knowledge with your friends and now you have this content out there for like absolutely everybody. So super, super awesome. For me, I feel like growing up, I was always like, yeah, I know about saving my money, but I wasn't like really aware of like the difference between saving and investing my money. I just was like, yeah, like I'm contributing money to a savings account. I'm good. So do you want to maybe start just like at the very basics and telling us kind of the difference between saving and investing your money? Yeah, good question. I think most people are just like you where they know all about saving. Most people know about mm-hmm. saving, but when it comes to investing, it's like, what's that? So saving yeah. is when you put money away for 
a certain purpose or just for a rainy day. And maybe you'll take a certain percentage of every paycheck that you get and put it into a savings account. And maybe the interest rate will be 1%, 2%, maybe 3% if we have a great uh, prime interest rate. But yeah, it's typically very low. Whereas investing is when you're putting money into an asset and then you put it into that asset with the goal of it to grow even more. So there are lots of different types of assets. I'm sure that we'll go in to in depth, but there are things like the stock mm-hmm. market. So if you put your money into the stock market, then you can buy, you can become a part owner of a company and then the, the your money can grow over time. Or for example, there's real estate. Some people purchase houses and that's the type of investment you can then put your money there. And if you're renting out the property, you can actually get money back every single month just because somebody else is paying the mortgage and probably giving you some money on top of the mortgage. So this would be two types of examples of investments. And the good thing about the stock market is that the average gains in the stock market is actually like 10% over a uh, year over year. Mm-hmm. So imagine... I could put my money in a savings account and get one or two percent, or I could put my money in this investment and get ten percent. Which one would most people would choose the investment? But of mm-hmm. course, there's a level of risk that comes with it, you know. So that's why not everyone does it. Going back to you know, based on like your goals, like I think for short and long term goals, like are there certain types of saving or investment accounts that people should have on their radar? Yes. So I'm assuming most of your audience is in Canada, but if not, I can only speak to Canada, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's perfect. So for investing or for saving for your short-term or long-term goals for saving, I would recommend opening a high interest savings account. I feel like a lot of people have their money in a savings account, like just a general savings account, but there are actually these things called Mm -hmm. high interest savings account, which will give you a bit higher interest than a typical savings account. And there are lots of no-fee banks like EQ Bank, like like Neo Financial, like Simply, like Tangerine. And all of those banks will give you a higher rate than one of the bigger banks. So that's for your saving. And then for your investing, there are two, like the TFSA. So the TFSA is a tax-free savings account. And it is exactly how it's, well, it's not exactly how it sounds. It's It sounds like you should save in it, but you can actually invest in your tax-free savings account. And in that account, you, all the money that you put in is tax-free. So it's really good. Like if I put, if I put in $5,000 and it grows to $10,000, let's say, usually you would have to report that money on your taxes. And like, that's income that you have, but in the tax-free savings account, you actually don't have to do that. So it's a really good way to save for either the short-term or the long-term because like you can take your money out of it at any time. Another one would be the RRSP, which is the Registered Retirement Savings Plan. And of course, that's for retirement. So it's a more long-term goal. But again, you can also invest in this account. And it's really cool. Um, You can also use the money for your home purchase if you wanted to purchase a home. So it's another way that they incur that the government encourages you to save for the long term rather than having to rely Mm -hmm. on them when you are, are older. Yeah. Right. Perfect. Thank you. I was wondering, like you kind of touched on the different types of investments, but I just feel like there is so many different names for investments and like it could be stocks, bonds, mutual funds. Can you kind of go into a little more detail about what all these different investments are and maybe like the differences between them and what kind of financial goals you'd have in mind when choosing that investment? 
Mm -hmm. So stocks would be what I explained earlier, where you're basically becoming a part owner of a company. So if we take the company Apple, for example, Apple is a publicly traded company, meaning it's meaning that anybody can become a part owner in Apple. Most people don't know that, but you can become a part owner of Apple by just going to the stock market and buying a piece of Apple. So you can do that. There's so many like thousands and thousands of companies that are listed on the stock in the stock market. And I would say this is the easiest one, maybe not the easiest one, but it's very accessible for every single person with platforms mm -hmm. like Wealth Simple. You can even start with $1. So I think that's really cool because like in the past, before Wealth Simple, you could, you had have to buy a whole stock of Apple, which I think is around $100 or $200 right now. But now you can just buy $1 of that stock and become, and still become a, a fractional owner of Apple. So that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Next one, I guess we can go into bonds. Bonds are basically, I don't invest in bonds personally because they are very, very, they're, they're much lower risk than, than, um, than stocks. And with lower risk, you typically get lower rewards because I have such a long time horizon, like before I retire, I like to go higher risk. That's my, <laughs> that's my preference. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, bonds are basically a type of debt. How would I explain this? Bonds are basically <laughs> a loan from an investor to a borrower. So the government issues bonds and you're basically giving the government money and then the government's going to say mm. okay because you've loaned us this money we are going to give you this amount of interest every year and it's pretty mm. much i believe it's almost guaranteed like it's pretty much guaranteed because you're loaned to the government right but the bond terms mm -hmm. are sometimes 20 years 30 years and i don't think the interest makes sense for me personally i just think it's like very low it's a very small amount but that's just my personal opinion of course if you want to have a truly balanced portfolio you will have some bonds in your portfolio so that you have like some high risk some low risk some medium uh, risk and things like that next one shall i go into the next one sure yeah, yeah keep it coming <laughs> Just on the bonds piece, do you think that's like an uncommon thing? Like I don't hear too much about bonds. Like I feel like it's just like mutual funds, stocks. Like that's what I kind of hear about from like my friends and whatever. Is that a fair statement? I think, yeah, I think it's a pretty fair statement. But the thing is that your mutual fund probably has bonds in it. So bonds in it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I'll, maybe I'll explain what mutual funds are actually. Perfect. Mutual funds, when you go to like a financial advisor and they will basically pool your money with a bunch of other investors and then they'll say, okay, we're going to put your money into this portfolio. And the portfolio is managed by that fund manager. And they're basically going to say, okay, in this portfolio, we're going to have these companies and we're going to have these bonds in your company, in your, in the mutual fund. So because of that, you have high risk, low risk uh, portfolios, whatever type of portfolio you want, you can basically get it. And I also am not the biggest fan of mutual funds only because you they are actively managed. So this fund manager, mm -hmm. they're going to be, they're going to see, okay, today the market is down by this much. Let me switch out one of these companies and add this company instead, or let me take out that. And they're okay. always tinkering with it. And there's actually studies that say that human interaction with your portfolio is actually what what makes it fail most times because you're you're trying to mm. outperform the market but you should it's better to just leave it and let it grow and let it grow and let it grow over the long term and the thing with mutual funds is whether you 
are whether you get a high return or you lose money, the fund manager is still going to get paid, right? So um, mm -hmm. that's the thing. It can be it can become pretty expensive, and they're eating into your profits. That makes sense. So mutual funds, there's a whole bunch of things within it. Then, like you said, they're pooling your money with other investors. So is stocks totally different, or could stocks show up in your mutual funds as well? Yeah, stocks could show up in your mutual funds. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Perfect. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> this is already so educational. I'm like, okay, learning so much, taking notes, not making that mistake your friends made. I'm listening here. <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess another one I could mention would be GICs. So GICs are guaranteed investment certificates. And similar to bonds, these are very low risk. Like I would say these are probably the lowest risk lowest risk investment that you can think of. And I don't even kind of consider them an investment because I, I associate investments with being, with having some sort of risk, but I feel like there's basically no risk with, when it comes to a GIC, you put your money in, mm -hmm. and this is issued by a trust company or a bank. You put your money into this guaranteed investment certificate and they say over this amount of time, it's going to, we're going to pay you this much in interest. And that's pretty much it. It's, I don't know. I don't really know if you can even lose money. And I think it's guaranteed. I don't think you can lose money in a GIC. Okay. Yeah. So it's like the safest. Yeah. Have either of you invested in GICs? No. 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 I always see it as an option, but I'm always like, I don't know exactly what it is. So, yeah. 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 I think it's like... I've never invested in it, but I've heard like it's virtually risk-free. So... Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people do choose to put their money there, but I like the big returns, yeah. as I said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then another one, and this is what I would suggest beginners start with, is actually ETFs. So ETFs are exchange traded funds. So they are basically similar to mutual funds where it's a bunch of assets within that one fund. However, instead of your mutual fund manager doing it on a regular basis and like trying to change what's inside of it they actually it's a it's passively managed so nobody's actually monitoring it every day and changing the the the, fun, the things that are inside of it so i like etfs simply because it's passively managed and they perform pretty well over over the long term so i think those are a bunch of assets that, yeah. <laughs> that i can or securities that i can that was a lot of them <laughs> no that's perfect yeah and I wonder if you could speak like really briefly about like other investments outside of banks, like if you decide to invest in real estate or like I see girls on TikTok who like buy designer bags because they're like, this is my investment. Like, can you talk a little bit about those type of like purchases? Hmm. I don't know much about the designer bag one. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I on TikTok, I definitely see the girlies uh, yeah. buying <laughs> different bags and then reselling them for way more than they bought them. So I guess if that's your thing, that's a good investment. Uh, <laughs> real, depending on what you buy, obviously, some bags hold their value better than others. Uh, another mm -hmm. type of investment, as you said, would be real estate. And I think buying your home to be your principal residence where you're going to live, I don't consider that an investment at all because you know you're you're mm. actually you're paying money each month to use it, so it's not really an investment; it's a liability. Right. But when you are someone who is in renting out your home, then I think that's a bit different. So I actually have a house that I purchased and I actually rent it out to people 
and they their rent each month covers the mortgage and then some. So that would be an example of an investment. Of course, that is not the most accessible investment, because, especially in our mm-hmm. Toronto market right now. It's a, <laughs> yeah, so it's not the most accessible, but. I, I think that if you can get into the market, you can have huge returns, especially in our, in the Toronto market. I purchased my place for about $349,000. And right now it's about, someone just sold on my street for about $780,000. And that's, I bought it in 2020. That's crazy. So yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So obviously there, I don't know where else you can get returns like that. Like in the stock yeah. market, you don't really see returns like that. So yeah, there's yeah. money to be made. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, like at this point in life, like a lot of people are like in our twenties, a lot of people are starting to like build, like you were saying their RSP and like invest their money, get some like growth going so they can get that down payment to then, you know, invest in the real estate. Yes. And it's like, once you do have a little bit money, I think it is a great way to, like you said, like snowball kind of like your investments and especially with the way the market's going like it's just absolutely crazy for me I'm like I don't even know if that's like possible right now like I know (laughs) I don't even know if it's like yeah a goal because it's just like feels so unattainable but I think that's so awesome that you bought your house and during the pandemic too like that's so great yeah so I just want to say I actually I put down the deposit in 2019 so it was before the market went crazy like Mm. if if by the time it closed, I actually wouldn't have been able to afford it if it was a year later. So I'm like, yeah, I really? think it was just a thing of good timing. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Going back just for a quick second to stocks. I just wanted to like flag this for our listeners. Like if you guys are working for like some sort of like fortune 500 company or like a publicly traded company, like look into employee stock purchase plans. I know at my last employer, I had that. And basically you can like buy, like Renny was saying, like you can become a part owner of the company for a discounted rate if you buy it through an employee stock purchase plan. So definitely something to take advantage of, like if it's available at your work, it was something that was like very new to me. And I was like, super scared by it. But then it was very easy. And then I saw like pretty good returns from it. So definitely something just to be mindful of came to mind when you were talking about stocks and becoming that part owner. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would say that's actually one of the easiest ways to start investing because you don't have to do any of the work yourself. They do everything for you. Of course, when you do invest in your company, you want to make sure that you're working for like a good company. If it's a company that (laughs) is kind of on its way downhill, probably don't um, take part in it. But the good thing about employer share ownership plans is that you, they actually contribute, they match your money sometimes. Uh, in my pro, uh, when I was working, I was working at the Bank of Montreal previously, and they actually matched my contributions. So if I put $2 in, say they give put $2 in. And by the, I was there for three years full time. And by the, by the time I left, I had $25,000 that was, was there by the time I quit. So I would have spent that money, 100%. I would have spent that money. So it was really nice to see that, okay, this little contribution, I think I was contributing like 1% or 2% of my paycheck each each week or bi-weekly but it added up to quite a bit because of course it's it's compounding and they are matching it yeah 100% such good like hacks to like take advantage of 100% you also kind of talked a bit about financial advisors especially like on the mutual funds piece and I feel like 
this is like kind of like a top of mind question for me personally, but I feel a lot of people are kind of thinking about this is how do we know or when should we invest through just like our regular bank or look at other channels like you said, well, simple and like those sorts of like websites and stuff. So kind of like that financial advisor versus that self-serve robo advisors, that sort of thing. How do we know what to do? Yeah, good question. So I actually met with a financial advisor and interviewed him for my channel because I was also asking, okay, well, mm. how do I know if I should hire someone or if I should do it myself? Mm. And he said, you should ask yourself these three questions. So the first thing would be, do you have the knowledge to manage your portfolio, the knowledge and expertise to manage your portfolio? If the answer is no, then you ask yourself, are you willing to learn? If the answer is no, then <laughs> then you probably should look into a financial <laughs> advisor. But if the answer was yes, so you are willing to learn, then you have to ask yourself, do you have the desire to manage your portfolio? If the answer is yes, I have the desire to manage my portfolio, then you ask yourself the third question, do you have the time to manage your portfolio? And if the answer is yes for all mm -hmm. three, then you can look into DIY or self-serve options. But if the answer is no to any of those, then you should probably outsource to a professional who is willing to do it and they went to school for it, right? So they're pretty qualified. Of course, you need to make sure you interview them and like ask them the right questions before you, you do give your money to them. But I would say there's a lot of benefits in using a professional, especially like we pay for convenience all the time. We eat at restaurants, like there, there's so many mm -hmm. things. So I feel like this would be a good thing to pay for convenience for if you are not willing to put in the time and effort yourself to, to manage your money. And then when it goes, when, if you are going to do, do DIY and it comes to the difference between doing self, using the bank or using the independent companies like Wealthsimple or Questrade, you have to ask yourself about your goals. And I guess you just have to weigh the pros and the cons. I swear the banks are good, but they're just expensive. That's the thing. Like if right. we look at TD bank, for example, for each trade that you're going to make on TD, they're going to charge you $9 and 99 cents per trade which can oh add up goodness. a lot and like, yeah, <laughs> it can add up a lot and take from your profits. Whereas if we look at Wealth Simple, they charge you $0 per trade for all their Canadi Canadian um, trades. So of course that makes way more sense for you, especially if you're only trading Canadian companies, Wealth Simple makes a lot more sense. But the thing with Wealth Simple, mm -hmm. they may not have all of the, um, what do they call All of the stocks available because they, they've just, they're a newer company. So they're every day they're adding more and more, but they don't have every single stock on their platform. They don't have every single in, uh, ETF. So these are the things you just need to consider. And then the research on some platforms like TD would be more extensive than the uh, research that is available on a platform like Simple. To be honest, I think Simple is a great place for beginners to start. You know, it's cheap. You I don't know, $9.99 for a trade is a lot of money. So I just feel like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just feel like going to either Quest Trade or Wealth Simple may be a good place for all beginners to start. But it's really up to personal preference and whether you're willing to pay that extra money for your commission and different things like that. Awesome. So we've heard a lot, I feel like especially because the stock market's been kind of fluctuating recently. And so you hear a lot about diversifying your portfolio. I was wondering if you could talk about literally what that means, first and foremost, and how you then kind of make the choices on how much risk you want to take in your investments. Mm -hmm. I feel like 
I, okay, what a diversified portfolio portfolio is, it's basically a portfolio that is in line with your risk profile. So I guess it depends what, are you someone who is high risk, low risk, whatever. Um, and then it means owning stocks from a bunch of different countries, sectors, risk profiles, industries, like basically it means that my whole portfolio isn't going to be full of technology companies that are American companies, because right. if the American tech space crashes, then my whole portfolio crashes. Whereas if I have tech companies from America, energy companies in Canada and the States, I have real estate, you know, if I have a bunch of different companies from a bunch of mm -hmm. different sectors, it's less likely to crash. Well, it, it's not going to, all three are not going to crash at the same time. If they do, then we have a yeah. global <laughs> issue, you know? Uh, yeah. But I think yeah. it's the like classic, don't put all your bags in or all your eggs in one basket kind of thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just, yeah. Exactly. And a lot of people say, so not just having like stocks, but you also have bonds in your portfolio. You have some real estate in your portfolio. Like you basically want to exactly not have all your eggs in one basket and spread them out all across. It's easier said than done. Like, I feel like it's mm -hmm. once you see the tech, the returns that you get in the tech center, sector, it's easy to just triple down in that space. But <laughs> yeah, a good, a, a good portfolio would be diversified across multiple sectors and countries. And one one thing I could say is a good way to do this is to use the ETFs or the um, index funds. So because they mm. are ET like there's this thing called broad market ETFs, which means it's basically taking companies from every sector and investing in them. So I like I have a mm. few of those just because I don't know individual companies in like the energy space that I would personally choose to invest in. But if they're in the ETF, at least right. I have some exposure to them, you know, and I don't have to do all the research about each of the 500 companies, for example, that are in that ETF. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. And just going back to like the risk piece, I think you touched on this earlier, but essentially it's safe to also say kind of like the higher risk or sorry, the longer term goals, you can afford to have higher risk with, right? The shorter term goals, you might want to dial it back a little yeah. bit, keep it, play it a little bit more safe. Yeah. And actually financial advisors typically suggest that if you have a goal that's within two to three or less than three years, they don't even recommend investing your money. They recommend just saving the money instead, because the reality mm -hmm. is we don't really know what the market will do over the next year, uh, two to three years over the mm -hmm. long term. So if we look at the stock market as a whole over the past hundred years, for example, it's always gone up overall, but there are some, like if we look at 2008, it was down, down, down. Mm -hmm. down. Yeah. So you, if you, imagine someone was, had a started last saving or started investing last year and they needed the money for this year, their portfolio would be very, very red right now because of the market that, right. <laughs> that we have. But yeah. if they hold on for the next two, three, four or five years, then it's probably going to go up. But again, you need that longer term horizon in order to, to hold. So I'm a very, I'm a long-term investor. I don't really do any short-term investing because I find that short-term investing requires a lot more of your energy mm -hmm. and time to monitor your portfolio, see how it's going on a day to day. And and then, yeah, I don't have energy. I don't have the energy for yeah. that. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Awesome. And so I think it goes without saying too, that like, you shouldn't put all of your money into investments. Like you should always have some type of savings. Yes. Good point. I didn't mention that, but, um, an emergency fund, 
before I say before anyone starts investing, start your emergency fund. Actually, before anyone starts, I have a video on this about five things you should do before you start investing. But the top mm. two things would be one, get out of high interest debt. So if you have credit card mm. debt, I would suggest paying off your credit card debt before you start investing. And the reason for that is credit card debt compounds so quickly and it can get out mm. of control if you if you just hold it. And the typical credit yeah. card debt is 19.99%, right? So if if you say you have $100 and it's compounding at 19.99%, it's going to get out of control. And the, if the average mm -hmm. gains in the stock market are only 10%, then you're kind of hustling backwards because your money's growing at 10%, but your debt is growing at 19%, right? So I would say if you have mm -hmm. high interest debt, probably pay off that high interest debt before you start investing. And then the second thing that I would say would be to make sure that you start your emergency fund. And what an emergency fund is three to six months of your expenses. So if it costs you $3,000 a month to live and to pay all your bills, to pay all your ex essential expenses and to live a life that's comfortable, you need to save three to six months of that. So $9,000 to $18,000 in your bank account. And it's just there for emergencies. An emergency could be something like, okay, my car broke down or I lost my job or I got sick, you mm -hmm. know, things like that, where it could, it will be a, a large sum of money that you need. So I would always suggest everybody to keep an emergency fund and keep it in a high interest savings account. Do not keep your emergency fund in investments. I see a lot of people doing that. And to me, it doesn't really make much sense. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, especially going back to you saying like you never know when you're going to need that money and you might need it when yeah. the stock market's down, you know, or like when the market's down yeah. and then you've lost money on it. So it doesn't make sense. Exactly. The high interest savings account makes a lot more sense. So going kind of back to the fluctuating market, how do you prevent yourself from like panicking when you do see, you know, things starting to take a downward spin, especially like right now, I feel like people are seeing that in their portfolios? So personally, I only look at my portfolio twice a month. So I will basically, okay. every time I, so say I get paid twice a month, right? So mm -hmm. I will look at my portfolio only when I get paid. That's basically what I do. So I transfer the money into my investment account. I buy something and then I don't look at it until the next time I'm going in and buying something. This way, because I'm a long-term investor, it doesn't really matter what's going on in the next mm -hmm. two weeks between my two paychecks. It does, it literally doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So that's my advice. Try not to look at your portfolio as much as possible. As I said earlier, human involvement in our portfolios actually is more detrimental than we, like it's, mm -hmm. it's not helpful at all. Uh, so my advice is to not look at my portfolio. Of course, that's hard for some people. So another piece of advice would be to just have your emergency fund again, have it fully funded so mm -hmm. that you know that, okay, even if this money is down today, I know that I still have some money to hold me over. Even if it looks like this portfolio is in the red, I still have this money and I, I can come, I know that if anything happens, I'm still comfortable with this. I feel like emergency funds really alleviate and can alleviate anxiety for a lot of people. So yeah, that, I think that would be my advice. But my personal, my what I do is I just don't look at my portfolio most of the time. I let it grow and let yeah. it grow and let it grow. And that's how I purchased my house. Actually, like I would buy Shopify when I was working at uh, I was working at Payless, the shoe store. I was making 
making like $9 an hour. But every two weeks, I would buy a little bit of Shopify stocks. I would buy a little bit of Shopify stocks. And then I wouldn't look at my portfolio. I just let it grow. And then by the time I was 23, my portfolio had reached like $60,000. And I, again, I was not looking at my portfolio. And then I was able mm-hmm. to put down a deposit on my house. So I find that taking out the human involvement is the best thing, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I had a super random question that I'm just asking because I'm solely curious, but like, what is your thought on things like Bitcoin and NFTs and those kinds of investments that I feel like are suddenly so hip and seem like quick, easy money, but then they also seem like too good to be true? Mm, Okay. I feel like cryptocurrency has, it has good utility. Like there are good things about crypto about some cryptocurrencies so for those who don't know cryptocurrencies are basically a digital medium of exchange so similar to how we have the dollar or any other currency those are tied to they're tied to a government typically so the canadian dollar is tied to the bank of canada and but bitcoin for example or any cryptocurrency is not tied to any specific government so that is why people love it because it's decentralized and it's only controlled by the blockchain this may be confusing. I, I'm sorry, <laughs> but it's basically like a way it's a, yeah, it's a digital currency. That, that's all we need to know about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's perfect. And I, I find that there are some coins that ha- have shown their use cases, like things like Bitcoin, things like Ethereum, uh, Solana, like some of the bigger coins, but then are there are also like some meme coins like Dogecoin, Dogecoin and like these things that. People, you just see like people saying, go to, to the moon, to the moon, like those sort, those sorts of things. So I feel like if you are going to invest in cryptocurrency, you should invest in the ones that have like clear use cases for them. But also mm-hmm. I just don't suggest investing in things that you don't understand. So if you are, if yeah. anyone is trying to invest in crypto, just because they've heard other people talking about it, maybe like do your, re- do a lot of research before mm-hmm. you invest in it, because you want to make sure that you understand it. So you can't blame yourself or you can't be mad at anyone else if you lose the money. You need to understand whatever you're investing in. So that would be my suggestion. But I think there is good, there's a good use case for some cryptocurrencies, not all of them. And also when it comes to NFTs, mm-hmm. personally, I don't understand them at all. So I just stay away from them. That's yeah. my, <laughs> but I see, I, see a lot, I see people making a lot of money, but I still, I just don't understand it. Yeah, it's crazy. It's just like, I feel like every time I go on YouTube or TikTok, it's like a new way to invest. But yeah, yeah, (laughs) probably don't throw your money at things you don't understand. That's a good tip. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I wondered if you had any advice for discipline when it comes to saving and your investments. Like it's so easy to shop and spend your money. And especially I feel like when you go from, say, not making a lot of money or not making any money because you're in school and then suddenly you're getting a paycheck, it's so easy to be like, okay, time to adjust my lifestyle and spend this. Mm -hmm. So how do you still try and put in the effort to save and invest? So I am exactly, I am exactly what you said. (laughs) Once I started making money, I was like, Ooh, I have so much money. Let me go spend it. But one good thing is I always had a, I think automation, automation is my, the key thing that has helped Mm. me. So every time I get Mm -hmm. paid, my money goes 
from my checking account and it automatically goes into my investing account. So basically I don't even have the opportunity to spend the money because it's already out mm-hmm. of my account. That's right. what I suggest for everyone. Automate your investments, automate your savings, automate your bill payments, literally automate everything. Mm-hmm. So the only money that's in your checking account, yeah, you can spend it because you know, you mm-hmm. <laughs> like you've paid, you've, you basically paid all your obligations. And I like to see investing as an obligation, something that I have to pay each and every month. It's not something that is a nice to have. It's like, this is, this must be paid. Uh, and that's what has kept me disciplined and helped me grow my portfolio. Because I know that if I had to like manually move the money from one place to another, I probably mm. wouldn't do it. So I make sure to automate everything. Right. Yeah. I love that. I'm exactly the same. And I find if I mm-hmm. don't have it automated and I just see my savings getting higher and higher, then it's like, Ooh, I should be spending this money. Yeah. Like, look at me go. And so when it's like locked away in some other account, it's like I'm not even thinking about it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And we talk so much about like creating non-negotiables to like hold yourself accountable if it's to working out, if it's to like your morning routine, like whatever it is. And it's like really, this is just another non-negotiable, or like that's how you could view it to definitely stay accountable. So I think that is so good. And also, like you said, like breaking down like any barrier that's going to stand in your way of actually doing it. So if it's like that, you know, logging into your bank account, manually moving the money, like that's just like, yeah, might eventually become a barrier to you not doing it one month. So just like nip that in the bud and make it automated. I love that. Yeah. I just had one last question, I think we're like at the end, but I just wondered if you had like one tip or anything that's like, what's the one piece of advice for someone in their twenties in regards to their finances? I think my one tip would be to start diversifying your streams of income. I think a lot of times we focus on having one stream of income and like growing our career, for example, and that's earned income. So we trade our time for money and then that we work 40 hours a week and they pay us for our time. But again, as I mentioned earlier, if you were to lose your job, if you were to get an accident and no longer be able to work, then you would have zero uh, streams of income. So I always recommend that Mm -hmm. people start trying to diversify their streams of income to at least have two so that you know that like all, again, all your eggs are not in one basket. You can have earned income, but you can also have your dividend income from your investing portfolio. You can have capital gains that come from your investing portfolio. You can have real estate if you're able to get into the market. So there are seven different streams of income that you can have. And I always suggest people to at least have one, I mean, at least have two or three, just so that all your eggs are not in one basket. So yeah, that would be my suggestion for 20 somethings. Perfect. I love it. Thank you. No problem. So great. Awesome. Well, we will have all your social media linked in the show notes, but do you want to maybe just tell our listeners where they can find you to check out all this content that you've been talking about on uh, the (laughs) podcast so far? Yes. uh, You can find me on YouTube, on Instagram, on TikTok, and Twitter at XO Rennie. I think all my handles are pretty similar, except they're spelled different on some platforms because I, I couldn't get my number, <laughs> my handle. <laughs> but yeah, XO Rennie, that's X-O-R-E-N-I on most of these platforms. Amazing. And I have a website. Uh, so if you prefer to read content rather than watch videos, I actually have a website. It's rennytheresource.com. And yeah, I have lots of blog posts there where you can read the content instead of listening to it. Awesome.
Thanks so much to Rennie for joining us on the podcast. I feel like she brought forward a lot of really helpful information and we hope that you listeners found it helpful and you learned something, maybe feel a little bit more confident in your money, which is always good. As we said, we are putting all of Rennie's social accounts and her website in the description. So if you'd like to find out some more, feel free to visit her at any of those locations. We are also going to put our own social media handles there. We are on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Spotify, and Patreon. So you can find us in all of those places and keep up with us in between episodes of the podcast. We do put out a new episode every single Tuesday. So make sure you're subscribed to us and that you follow us so that you see when those new episodes drop, because we have a lot of really great content coming down the pipeline. So thank you so much for listening and see you next Tuesday. <laughs>